Turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. So we're starting a new letter this morning. We finished up 1 Peter last Sunday. Again, we know who Peter is. We know who wrote the letter. We've talked about him a great deal. Peter, again, one of the apostles, of course. We'll talk about him in a moment. But Peter wrote the first letter, and the first letter was written, oddly enough, not, not ironic at all, but written to Christians who were being persecuted for their faith. And if you remember, we spent five chapters looking at words of encouragement and exhortation to those who could lose their life at any moment because they were serving the Lord. And so the entire first letter is written to those persecuted believers. Now, since the first letter was written, the second letter about to be written is really written largely to the same people, but some more people being added to it, but written to the persecuted church, and about a year and a half to two years has gone by since the end of the first letter. And the second letter has a little bit different emphasis, but guess what? Things have only gotten worse since the first letter. The first letter, we know that Nero was rising to power. Now Caesar Nero is running amok. Caesar Nero, one of the most wicked, vile men who's ever lived, and one of the greatest persecutors of Christians who's ever lived. At this time, as, as this letter is being written, they're feeding Christians to lions, they're slaughtering Christians, they're setting them on fire. Again, really nothing new under the sun in one sense as we see it happening today in India. And so this letter, though, has a, an emphasis that changes a little bit because the persecution is still going on, but the first letter dealt with encouragement and persecution, outward persecution. The second letter, the real focus, is not outward persecution, but it's inward corruption. The first letter was dealing with, again, unbelievers coming against the church. The second letter the main focus is false teachers coming up from within the church. You know, if Satan can't attack us from the outside, he'll try to bring us down from the inside. Now know this, our God is greater and sometimes we give Satan way too much credit for things. Sometimes it's just plain stinking us, amen? But the reality is that we do fight a spiritual battle. And when we shouldn't look for Satan under every rock, but we are foolish to think that he does not exist. And so at the time of the first letter, again, they're coming against them. There's a great amount of fear. Some are thinking about walking away from their faith because of it. And now this second letter is written. And this letter, these are the last written words of the Apostle Peter. Peter is about to be put to death for his faith by Caesar Nero. Tradition tells us that he was crucified, but he was unwilling to be crucified like Jesus because he didn't want to be compared to him in any way, so he was crucified upside down. But we're not far away from that as he's writing this letter from Rome, he's writing it to the Christians, and he's going to be encouraging them again about how to deal with not only outward persecution, but inward corruption. And today the same is true. We don't really know what persecution's like in this country. We have no idea. But guess what? Hold on to your hat. Things might start happening. You know, there are laws that they're trying to pass to make it hate speech to teach the book of Romans. You understand that. I mean, I get these emails all the time, and sometimes you think, whoa, you know, it's out of control. But the reality is that they're protecting the rights of, sinful, of sinfulness over the Word of God. They kick the Word of God out of school. They've taken, you know, prayer out of school. You know, when I tell the kids in the youth group, I was a youth pastor for years, you keep praying anyway. 
You keep bringing your Bible to school anyway. But guys, we can't tell our kids to do that if we're not bringing it to work. Let's be encouraged. Let's be exhorted. So here's the point. As we come to this second letter, the false teaching is creeping in. The enemy's trying to bring the church down, not just from the outside, but from the inside. The exhortation in the first chapter to those who are being persecuted was, have an eternal focus. You know, you can't threaten me with heaven. If I know where I'm headed, if I truly have a burden to see the Lord, if I know that I'm going to heaven, then the worst thing the world can do to me is truly the best thing that can happen to me. God bless this brother that KP was talking about. I refuse to leave the people. If they come and kill me, then I'm going to heaven. And Lord, help us to have an eternal perspective. So that's the exhortation when it comes to persecution from the outside. Have an eternal focus. Live every day in light of the fact that you'll be standing before the Lord. But in 2 Peter, as we recognize the false teachers, he then tells them how to counteract false teaching. How do we counteract false teaching? Well, the way that we do that is we know the truth. Guys, the only way you're going to recognize a lie is if you know the truth. How do we know that something is not from God? It disagrees with the Word of God. And yet cults are popping up faster today than any time in human history. And why is that? Because there's such a heavy level of biblical ignorance in the church today. Too many Christians have a belief in God, but do not understand what it means to have an intimate relationship with God through the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by... Word of God. If you want to have deeper faith, you need to know what the Word of God says. The calling God's place in my life is to equip you for the work of the ministry, to feed you the Word of God. But you better eat more than once a week, amen? I know you do physically, and the Bible says we desire the Word of God more than our necessary food. And the exhortation that we're going to see throughout these three chapters is, hey, there's false teaching coming. There's lies being taught. How do you counteract that? You counteract that by knowing the truth. My exhortation for all of you, for all of us, is that we would know the truth. Today we're seeing just a, an unbelievable outbreak of people falling for false teaching. I'm going to give you a couple of examples, and then we're going to get into the text. The name it and claim it prosperity doctrine. In case you were wondering, it's from the devil. Is that pretty direct? It's from the devil. You know what it's based on? Greed and pride and us telling God what to do and us commanding God to give stuff to us. But the Bible tells us if we want to be great in God's kingdom, to learn to be the servant of all. To be the least among us, not the most among us. To not be those who are striving for the things of this world, but we're setting those things aside, laying aside every weight that so easily ensnares us and pressing onward at you know, the upward calling of Christ Jesus. We need to be pursuing Him, not the things of this world. Now, we go to work and do our job as unto the Lord. Amen? And it's not wrong to possess stuff just as long as the stuff doesn't possess you. Make sure that that's not the priority of your life. Jesus Christ needs to be the priority. But you know what happens is Mormon doctrine is from the devil. Pastor Dave, shooting straight. But here it is. You'll notice in all the cults, they have one thing in common. They make God less and man more. If you become a Mormon, you can have your own planet one day. Really? And you can have as many wives as you like. Wow. Wow. And they're all going to serve you. 
Really? You might as well get started on it now. You think I'm kidding. They also teach that Jesus and Satan are brothers. That's Mormon doctrine. Guys, we love the Mormons. We want to see them saved. Amen? We love them. Jesus died for them. We're no better than them. We're one sinner leading another, you know, one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. We're all sinners saved by grace, every one of us. But you look at these doctrines that are being taught and they're packaged as Christianity and it looks so good from the outside. But you know why people are falling for it? They do not know what this book says. I want to exhort you and encourage you from the depths of my heart. Do not be somebody who's wide open for a false teacher because you don't know what the Bible says. We desire the word of God more than our necessary food. You know what? I found this to be true. A false teacher will not stumble a spirit-filled, biblically hungry Christian. If you're in the Word, you're going to recognize it as soon as you hear the lie. And you know what that's going to be? Not an opportunity for you to stumble, but for them to be reached with the truth. Amen? But that's only going to happen if we spend time in God's Word. So as we come to 2 Peter, we're at 66 AD. It's in the midst of the most... You know, incredible persecution. The church is only 33 years old at this point. And now he's writing this second letter as a word of exhortation and encouragement to those in preparation for the false teachers that are coming up within the church. So there's persecution from the outside. There's corruption from the inside. And we will see in the three chapters that we will be looking at that, you know, it's a dangerous time for them to be Christians, but it's a more dangerous time for, to be a Christian leader. And for those who are leading in the church, there's a greater exhortation for them. Because again, they could be put to death at any moment. But Peter, knowing that his time is short, knowing that you know, he's about to lose his life, he writes these words of great exhortation. Just a quick overview of the entire letter, and then we'll look at, at the first part of chapter 1. The first chapter, we're going to see the cultivation of christian character that we need to be built up in godly character and godliness and holiness the second chapter we're going to see false teaching condemned we're going to see the condemnation of false teaching and then in the third chapter we're going to see confidence in christ's return guys one of the reasons that we need to be so diligent to teach the word of god so diligent to share the truth is we do not have the promise of tomorrow amen So we need to live every day in light of eternity. Chapter 1 will deal with holiness. Chapter 2 with heresy. And chapter 3 with hope. So let's begin. We're only going to look at four verses this morning in case you're starting to panic already. Um, We're going to look at four verses. We're going to look at the pathway to peace in the face of overwhelming opposition. We're not going to really get into the false prophets until chapter 2 heavily, and that's, but that is the main focus of this, of this letter. But in the first part, these first four verses, there's so much in here. Such words of encouragement and exhortation for all of us. So the pathway to peace in the face of overwhelming opposition. We're going to see four things. Number one, our precious faith. Our precious faith. It's a pathway to peace in the face of overwhelming opposition. Number two, pursuing intimate fellowship with God. Can I encourage you? We need to move past being religious people to having an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. 
We need to move past being a part of an organization to being an organism, a living, breathing body that represents the Lord and that walks with Him in intimate fellowship. Amen? That's the encouragement. Number three, in the pathway to peace in the face of overwhelming opposition. Number three, the power of the Holy Spirit upon us. Guys, you can't do it on your own. If you try to stand strong the best that you can, we've all done it. How's that working out for you? Have you done that before? I'm just going to do better. I'm just going to determine to try harder. Doesn't work, does it? You know why? Because we're human and we're sinners and we fail. But you know what's awesome? The Word of God tells us that if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We need the Holy Spirit upon us. And then lastly, the promises that we have, His precious promises. So let's begin in verse 1. A pathway to peace in the face of overwhelming opposition beginning by looking at our precious faith. But before we do that, let's take a look at the author one more time. It says there in verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. The letter begins as all ancient letters did. you got to remember they wrote on a scroll. So because they wrote on a scroll, they would always write who it was from and who it was to at the very top. You know, we write at the bottom of our letters. But they didn't do it that way, and the reason is they would have to unroll the entire scroll to find out who wrote it, and then roll it all back up to read it. So when they began a letter, they would write at the very top of the letter who the letter was from. And he says, Simon Peter. But I find it interesting, as he is closing in on the end of his life, for the first time in a long time, we see that name he was born with, Simon. Simon was the name given to him by his parents, but Jesus is the one who called him Peter. If you remember in Matthew's gospel, that, you know, who do men say that I am? And he told him who he was. You're the son of the living God. And he, you know what he tells him? You know, the Lord revealed this to you. It wasn't man, it was the Holy Spirit that has revealed this to you. He's talking to him in the, further on in a conversation. And he says to him, you know what? I am Petra, and you are Petros. You know, a chip off the old block, if you will. A part of the same substance. That's what Peter means. Peter means a small rock or a chip off the old block. And that was the name given to Peter by Jesus Christ. But notice, as his life is coming to an end, he refers to himself as Simon Peter. And I believe it's a reflection on the fact that he is still a man who realizes the man he used to be. You know, every one of us is a sinner saved by grace. And if we ever get to the point where we think we're beyond all of that, we've missed it. Guys, we need to stay desperate and humble and broken before the Lord. Amen? Amen. And Simon, he says, Simon Peter, a reflection, a reminder of the man that he was, the name given to him at birth. Reminder of where he had came from and all that had gone had done for him to make him the man that he had become. It's good to remember all that God has done for us and through us and who we are before, who we were before we met him. Guys, some of you got saved later in life and you can think back to who you were before you met Christ. Boy, I hope you're a lot different now. Amen? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. If things haven't become new, you need to get saved. We need to be born again. Amen? There should be a transformation. There's been a transformation in Peter's life. And then he refers to himself, first and foremost, and I love that he mentions it first, as a bondservant. Peter, again, closing in on his death, the first word he uses to describe himself, he does not boast about his accomplishments. 
He doesn't say Peter, one of the three. You know, there were 12 apostles, but there was the inside group, you know, me, James, and John. You know, we were with the Lord when he went on the Mount of Transfiguration. We were with the Lord when he went down to pray. You know, he showed us more stuff. Peter, mister, walked on water for a second. Peter, mister, hey, you know, he didn't do any of that. Instead, he refers to himself as a bondservant. A bondservant, the word in Greek is doulos. Now, what is a doulos? What does that mean? A bondservant, it comes from Exodus 21. We see that, that same word used in the Hebrew version. One Jew could never have another Jew as a slave for more than six years. And so what would happen is if you owed somebody a great debt and you couldn't pay them, you would be enslaved to them, but in the seventh year, you would be set free from whatever your debt was. But there could be those who at the end of the six years would say, you know what, I love being a servant in my master's house. And even though my debt is paid and I'm free to go, I can't imagine living anywhere else. I can't imagine being with anybody else. I want to be a part of your family for the rest of my life. And now where I was once bound by law, I am now bound by love. And I want to be your servant for the rest of my life. That's a doulos, a bond servant. And so what would then happen is they would take that servant and he would go down to the city gate and they would take his ear and when they placed his head against the, the door, and they would drive an awl through his ear and put an earring in his ear to represent the fact that he was now and for the rest of his life fully submitted to his master, not again out of law, but out of love. Peter says of himself, Simon Peter, a doulos, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we be bondservants of Jesus Christ. May we go beyond having a fringe relationship with him. May we be bound to him not by law, not out of fear of a lightning bolt smoking us, but out of love for him, amen? That's the kind of relationship. We are his bride, a voluntary slave for life, and that's how Peter defines himself. I love the humility we see here. Because we know that there's a, a huge group of people that believe that Peter was the first pope. Peter never said that. Word of God never said that. Peter refers to himself as doulos. He doesn't say Peter, holy, most high, potentate, does he? He says Peter, bond slave. Peter, doulos. Peter, servant of the great and awesome God. He takes no credit. He gives God all the glory. He's a man of humility. Praise God for the example we see in Peter. You know, Peter wasn't always that way. You remember there was a time when they were walking along and, you know, Jesus is going and he's getting near the crucifixion. And they kind of pull back a little bit and get out of, they think, earshot. earshot getting out of earshot to G, with Jesus. How stupid is that? But they think, and they're walking behind, and what are they doing? They're arguing amongst themselves what? Who's the greatest? And you know Peter was heavily involved in that discussion. Because Mr. Ready, Fire, Aim, Peter. Mr. First Guy to Speak Up All the Time, Peter. 
And you know Peter was talking about how great he was. And now instead, as his life is coming to the end, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, he's ready to die for his faith. And no longer is he talking about how great he is, but how great our Savior is. This is a sign of spiritual maturity. When our eyes get off of us and they get on him, touch not the glory, amen? We're to be kissing any man's ring, amen? We're to glorify no man, glorify Jesus Christ alone. He alone was crucified for our sin. He alone rose from the dead. He alone is God, and he alone is to be worshipped, to be praised, and to be honored. And this is a word of exhortation that we see just in the heart of Peter, the one who people are praying to today. If you could roll over in heaven, if you could be grieved in heaven, Mary and Peter and all the saints who are prayed to would be grieved. Stop it! If they had one word to say. If they could come to earth for five seconds, what do you think they'd say? Stop praying to me. Quit it. Don't put me in on that. Quit building statues of me. Quit pointing to me. Point only to him. And that's what we see in the heart of Peter. As he's closing this last letter, he refers to himself not as holy, not as magnified. The words of Jesus had finally sunk in. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Spiritual maturity is being revealed in a humble heart of one who seeks only to serve. Guys, we should be leery of anyone who promotes themselves. Amen? I get really nauseated when I see the worldwide ministry of and someone's name after it. Ah, oh, touch not the glory, amen? Now again, there could be some who are just are sincere and they just aren't, they're just not getting it. Pray for them. But the point is, we should not promote man, but only promote the Lord. And then he says, not only a bondservant, a doulos, but an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now an apostle is one who was called by God, once sent out, by God. So Peter was commissioned by Jesus Christ. Why does he say this at the beginning? He's letting them know this is not just the opinion of a friend. This is not one friend writing to another, though we're friends, or one family member writing to another, though we're family. It's the word of God coming from one sent by God. So he lets them know, I'm just a servant, but God has given me the word to speak to you. These words in no way meant to glorify Peter, but to speak of the authority of the words that have been delivered to him. And I just praise God for his faithfulness to deliver the truth. Then he says, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice, to those who have obtained like precious faith. Who's it written to? All believers. He says, to those who've been born again, to those who have the same faith that I have. Notice again, he doesn't put himself above others. He says, to those who have the like faith, the like conviction, the like salvation. That's who this letter is being written to. Those who have obtained, the word obtained there, received. Guys, why do we... Why were we saved? Because we were so good. Because God just couldn't do without us. Was he so blessed when he got you? God is so blessed to have me on his side. Best thing ever happened to God, getting me on his side. We received his grace. 
We were saved not because we're righteous, but because He's righteous. He drew us unto Himself. He's the initiator. We respond. Amen? And he says like. The word like there is equal or the same. So they have the same faith. The same precious faith. The word precious there speaks of its incredible value. The word precious was used to describe foreigners who asked for and received equal citizenship in a new country. So they had the same faith in common. And the faith that they had was far from common. Each received the same incredible, valuable faith. You know what? I love that Peter makes it very clear that we're all saved the same way. There's one salvation. There's one hope. There's one truth. There's one gospel. There's one God. There's one heaven. There's one Redeemer. And His name is Jesus Christ. Him alone, by by His name alone, must men must be saved. We cannot be saved. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Guys, we cannot be saved any other way. There's no other path. I know we live in Santa Cruz, and we hear all the time about the many paths that lead to God. Here's the truth. All path leads to God. Only one leads to heaven. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Let's confess Him now and have intimate fellowship with Him in heaven. They all came the same way, the only way, through the one and only truth. And notice, it is a precious faith. Guys, have you ever thought about how precious our faith is? How valuable it is? How precious it is to the Lord? It's the precious blood of Jesus Christ that washed away our sins. While we may have unique callings, we all have a common salvation, and it's through our precious faith, the precious promise of God's Word, the precious blood of our precious Lord and Savior, that we are saved. And he says, I've obtained precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our faith was obtained, received, again, not by our efforts, but by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Next time you're talking to a Jehovah's Witness that says that Jesus never proclaims, the Word of God never proclaims Him to be God, they need to read their Bible because it's all over the Bible. But here's another verse where Peter says, what does he call Him? He calls Him our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What did he just call Jesus Christ in that verse? He calls Him God. Why? Because He is God. Amen? And so in that verse, it's very clear. But understand, it's by the righteousness of our God that we are saved. It says in Ephesians, For by grace you have been saved through faith that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is a free gift that came at a great price. It was free for us. It cost us nothing. It cost him everything. He paid the dead in full. Tetalistai, the last word upon the cross. Paid in full, redeemed, forgiven. That's the word for us. And we respond in faith to the gift of salvation. He paid a great price, but for you and I, it is the free gift of salvation. It's by grace, the undeserved favor poured out upon us by Almighty God. But notice again, it says, through faith. Belief, the word faith there is belief, assurance, reliance upon. Guys, your faith is only as good as the object that you place your faith in, right? You can have faith in something that's of no value and it's worthless. 
You can believe with your whole heart that there's no such thing as gravity. You can believe it down to the depths of your soul. You can write papers on it. You can have followers behind you. And guess what? You step off a 20-story building, you're going to fall and splat on the sidewalk. Because it doesn't matter what you believe if what you believe is not in someone who is true. And here's the truth. Their faith was only good because their faith was in the righteous, true Savior and living God, Jesus Christ. It's not faith in faith. It's faith in Christ. Today we see too much of the word faith becoming this movable object. and I, People talk about faith and they leave Jesus out of it. Guys, if you have faith without Jesus, it's worthless. It must be faith in Jesus, amen? Put your faith in him, put your hope in him, put your trust in him. We are saved by his righteousness. Our faith in Christ alone. Only a righteous sacrifice can redeem sinful man. Jesus alone could pay the price for you and I to be saved. Now, why only Jesus? Why? Because he is our God and our Savior. Buddha did not die on the cross. And even if he did, it would have been a waste of time. Muhammad was a prophet of the sword. And you know what? He didn't die for your sins. And even if he did, it would have been a waste of time. Because he's a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. All the false prophets that have ever gone before are all sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And when they say to men, look at me, all you're looking at is someone who's just like you. A sinner who needs a Savior themselves. That's why Jesus Christ alone is the only one that could pay the price because he alone is God. He alone was without sin. He alone proved himself to be God by triumphing over sin and death and raising from the dead on the third day. He's God. He's it. And praise God for it. Amen? Aren't you glad there aren't a hundred different choices? I'm really glad that God knows how thick we are and says, here it is. One. Choose me. Let's choose him. Let's follow him. Clearly taught in the text that he is God. He's perfect. He's holy. He's righteous. He, our sin separated us from, from him. But because of our sin, we can't redeem ourselves. So he did it for us. He's our God. He's our Savior. He's perfect. He's holy. He's faithful. And again, our faith in him should indeed be precious. It's common in that it's available to every man, but it's precious because it's unique and it can only be found in him. Point number two, verse number two, pursuing intimate fellowship with God. Look what it says there in verse two. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. If you've been coming to Calvary Chapel very long, we talk about these two twin words that you see at the beginning of a lot of the letters, grace and peace. And they're always in that order, aren't they? It's always grace and peace. And what's interesting, they were the two greetings of the Jews and the Gentiles of the day. The word grace, charis, is a Greek word, or Gentile word. When a Gentile would see someone, they'd say charis. And again, it was a word that you know, meant uh, to have a day filled with unmerited favor, grace. Have a gracious, unmerited favor day. Have a day that's beyond what you deserve. That's what they're saying. And then the other word, peace, is shalom. So he says grace, charis, and shalom. In this case, he's using the Greek version of the word shalom. But grace and peace. Now, why are they always in that order? Because without grace, there is no peace. Grace must always come before peace. Apart from the grace of God, there is no peace in the heart of man. 
People get upset when you tell them this, so do it in love. But if you don't know God, you cannot have peace. There will always be something missing. There will always be something more. I've got to get that, then I'll be happy. If I just get that promotion, then I'll be happy. If I can just get my kids to get better grades, then I'll be happy. If I can just get the bigger house, then I'll be happy. If I can just... Guys, if you don't have peace right where you are, you're never going to have it. Your circumstances don't bring bring peace. Jesus Christ does. And greatest uh, picture of peace is peace when it doesn't make sense. That's the peace that surpasses all understanding, not peace that comes from understanding. Amen? It's these guys standing out in the jungle saying, I have peace, God's in control, he's faithful, they come kill us, we'll be in heaven, it's okay. That's peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, give us that peace. But we can only have that peace if we know God's grace. Without God's grace, we will never know peace. It can only come through our knowledge of God. But look what it says. This grace and peace be multiplied to you. How do we multiply this grace and this peace? How do we multiply it? The word for multiply there means to fill. It's where we get the English word plethora. And the word Peter is saying, I want you to have a plethora of grace and peace, to be filled with grace and peace. So how are we filled with grace and peace? Even as they're enduring, remember context, outward persecution is happening like nobody's business at the time. Nero is running wild. They're persecuting Christians. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. How can I have that when I'm being persecuted for my faith? How is that even possible? And then the answer comes as you continue to read. Look what it says. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. How do you and I have peace? We have intimate fellowship with the Lord. To know him is to know peace. Amen? I know most of you have seen the bumper sticker. N-O Jesus, N-O peace. K-N-O-W Jesus, K-N-O-W peace. Amen? Know Jesus, know peace. If we want to have peace, we need to know the prince of peace. So how could they be filled with this grace by having a deeper relationship with the Lord? The word there for knowledge is the word gnosis. It's used 18 times in this letter, and it means to know by experience. Can I ask you a question this morning? Do you know about Jesus? Do you know of Jesus? Or do you know Jesus by experience? Do you have an intimate relationship with him? He's not saying knowing about God will bring you peace. Having an idea who he is will bring you peace. That's not what it says. It means to know him in an intimate and a personal way. To know him by experience. Guys, sometimes we know him by experience because we've had to go through a great and difficult trial and watch him come through. Sometimes it takes that for us to truly grasp the depths of his love and his grace and his mercy. It's not just knowing about him, but having intimate fellowship with him, the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. Jesus indeed is our Lord, amen? He must be not just Savior, but Lord. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all, amen? Man, you know, I came to church today with a friend and I would, you know, I just, and you're acting like Jesus is the only thing that matters. Uh, That's exactly right, amen? When we get to heaven, is anything else going to matter on Judgment Day? 
Can I see your 401k? Let me see how you did down there. Can I, can I check out your, you know, how, what, what was your GPA like in school? How much did you bench press? I mean, is any of that going to matter? But the stuff that we think is so important is perishing. And the exhortation here is intimate fellowship with him. Guys, you know what's great about it? It's going to last forever. And it's only going to get better. Let's get to know him now. We're going to know him better later. Amen? That ought to be our hearts. Last two points. Now you know why it's only four verses. Let's see what happened. Pathway to peace in the face of overwhelming opposition. The power of the Spirit upon us. He says this. Let me read it with verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His divine power has given us everything we need. His divine power has given us everything we need to have a satisfied, fulfilled, and godly life. To walk in holiness, even as we're facing persecution. Even as the world is coming against us. Even as we're trying to find the answer and the hope. The answer has already been revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. In the midst of great trials and persecution, it's easy to feel overwhelmed if we're not careful to become fearful and anxious and angry and bitter and even depressed. But Peter exhorts and encourages these early Christians with words we need to be reminded of today that his divine power brings peace. In Acts chapter 1, the word power there is dunamis. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus, when he ascended back into heaven, he told them he'd already breathed the Spirit in them at salvation. And then he said, go and wait, for not many days from now the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and you shall have what? Power to minister, right? The power of God. The word there is dunamis. The power of the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. And you will have, again, the ability to witness. But here's the point. That power comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit where? Upon us. Holy Spirit shall come upon you. And we'll have the power of God in our lives. His divine power. Who's His? Jesus. Guys, you know you have the power of Jesus Christ in your life? Does that blow your mind or what? You might say, well, man, you know, Jesus, um, of course, he's God. He can do that. I can't do it. You're right. You can't do it apart from him, but you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Amen? And his power shall come, has come upon you when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. No one ever faced greater opposition and persecution than our Savior. No one ever responded with greater grace and peace. And we say, yeah, he's God, I can't do it. But you know what? We can do it as he lives in us and moves through us. In the midst of difficulty, the answer, guys, is not a pill. It's not a program. It's not the latest self-help book. It's not what Oprah Winfrey thinks. Amen? The answer is less of us and more of him. Being filled with the Spirit of the living God. That's how we can walk and stand firm in the midst of the greatest trial. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And my God is faithful and I put my faith in him. That's what God desires to do in the life of every single believer. Our source for peace and perseverance in the face of opposition is knowing him. Not just that casual acquaintance, but having, again, that deep fellowship with the Lord. It says there, 
pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by, the, by glory and virtue. Knowledge of him gives us boldness. Knowledge of him brings us peace. I think of David fighting Goliath when everybody is shaking in their boots. David drops off cheese to his brothers. He hears that guy coming down for the 40th day. I defy you. Come down. Right? He hears him. Who is this guy coming against? The God of Israel. He didn't see 11 foot 750, and that's how big he was. That dude was big. 11 foot 750 pounds against, you know, shepherd boy. He saw mere man against almighty God. Why? Because he knew God. And because he knew God, God could use him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow when everyone else did. Why? Because they had intimate fellowship with God. We can go throughout the scriptures and we see those being used most mightily by the Lord. The apostle Paul, Stephen, as he was martyred for his faith, he spoke with great boldness. Why? Because he knew the author. Amen? He knew him. Guys, you know why this book is boring to people? They don't know the author. If you know the author, it doesn't get any better than this. Doesn't the enemy try to keep you out of it? What's the answer? Absolutely. But if you ever open it up and go, that was kind of weak, that doesn't happen. You spend time in God's word, you're going to be ministered to. I'm going to finish, I promise. Guys, it's not a positive mental attitude that gets us through it. Amen? I'm just going to, uh, told you about that guy coming to the office. I'm sorry, but it's just so perfect. Guy coming into our office in sales and looking at all of us and says, everybody stand up. And I want you to all look at me and say, I sizzle with power and enthusiasm. And I want you to get up every morning and look in your mirror and say, I sizzle with power and enthusiasm. And this guy was one of the most godless guys I've ever met. And I hate to admit it, but here's what I said. If this guy don't get saved, there's going to be some sizzling, but there's going to be no power and absolutely no enthusiasm about it. Guys, it's not a positive thought. It's a broken heart before Almighty God. It's desperation for Him. Less of us, more of Him, filled with Him. That's the person God can use. He called us by His glory and virtue. Not our glory, His glory. Guys, weren't you drawn to the glory of God? The grace of God? The mercy of God? The forgiveness of God? The cross of Calvary? It's all revealing His glory. And as His glory is revealed, we can't help but be drawn to Him. God is so gracious. God is so merciful. God is so glorious. Last point, last verse. Let's just read it. By which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The last point in having this walk of victory is trusting in the promise in the precious promises of God. Notice it says you've been giving exceeding great and precious promises. You know what? I love this quote by John Bunyan. Not Paul Bunyan. John Bunyan. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He said this. He said there are so many promises of God in the path of life that there's not any direction you can step without stepping on one of them. Guys, wherever we go, the promises of God are there. Even the promises to bring discipline if necessary. Amen? It has been said there are 30,000 promises in the word of God from God to us. I, I don't have to, I've never counted to 30,000. I don't know about you. That's incredible, isn't it? 
Those are the promises that he has for us. He walks with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Again, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. While the whole world seems to be rejecting you, remember that God has come to dwell inside of you. The whole world can be after you. They can be persecuting you. They can be, you know, maligning your name. You can be like these brothers out in the jungle and sisters out in the jungle. But you know what? God is in you. God is with you. God is for you. God is for us. Who can be against us? And notice what he says. I want you to notice this word and we'll stop with this. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world. Guys, we need to remember that word. If you underline stuff in your Bible, underline escape. Let me tell you why. That's the way we ought to view the world. Something to be escaped from, not run back to. Amen? If you escaped out of prison, would you go back for a visit? You know, we escaped. We've been delivered from it. We've left that rotten place, and now we're new creations in Him. We've escaped the corruption. We've escaped all that brings us such harm. We've escaped that, is what, that which is in the world through lust. What have we left? We left a corrupt and ungodly world for the grace of God, the promises of God, the power and redemption and the promise of heaven, for the knowledge and intimate fellowship with Him, for the empowering of His Holy Spirit. Guys, what a great trade. Leaving behind that which is perishing to take that which is not. A man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And guys, here's the good news. We get a taste of heaven right now. In the person of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, a down payment on heaven. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Can you see how these words might be a word of encouragement to those who are being persecuted from the outside as he's reminding them of their riches and who they are in Christ and the promises that he has given them. So the pathway to peace in the face of overwhelming opposition, precious faith, having faith in Christ Pursuing intimate fellowship with God. Not just a a surface religion, but an intimate relationship. Number three, the power of the Holy Spirit upon us. Jesus said of men born among women, none greater than John the Baptist. And then John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. So if the greatest man who ever lived according to Jesus Christ needs to be less of him and more of the Spirit, that's true for everyone in the room, amen? And then finally, his precious promises i am so glad for the promises god has given us and that we can trust in him that he is faithful that he is sovereign that he is in control that he loves us so much he'd rather die than live without us god didn't bring you here this morning by chance but he wanted you to hear how much he loves you how precious you are to him that he is a faithful god no matter what you're going through right now he's walking with you and he loves you amen let's pray Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the words of encouragement. Just even in these first four verses. And Lord, I pray that we would hunger to know you better. Lord, that we wouldn't be satisfied with a distant religion, but we would desire an intimate relationship. Lord, there would be less of us and more of you. Not just the Holy Spirit in us, but upon us and flowing out of us on the world around us. Lord, we thank you for the promises in your word. We thank you for the gift of faith. We thank you, Lord, that we have one we can put our faith in and we can believe, Lord, because you've proven yourself to be God. And Lord, I do pray for anybody here who doesn't know you this morning. You'd open their eyes to the truth of who you are. Your word says today is the day of salvation. May not one person leave here 
without giving their life to you. Father, I pray for those in the midst of trials and difficulty. Maybe they've been feeling alone. Lord, may you remind them of your faithfulness. Lord, may they turn from the solutions they've been seeking back unto you. And Lord, again, we lift up our precious brothers and sisters in India right now. May you strengthen them. May you protect them. May you be glorified in and through them. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.